Tyler O'Reilly here. Before we start, just wanted to remind everyone of Bizarre Plus, our membership program where you can get extra episodes every week. Just simply go to the link in the show notes. It's Sports Bizarre. This is where the trouble starts. It's like a party switch is flicked off. We're not here for a haircut. The hunt for the weirdest. You're blowing my mind. I can't keep it. You fact check this. There is no logic to any of what's going to happen. Strangest. Wow. This is outrageous. It's not for the ages. Things are just going to get sillier and sillier. No red flags there. Most unbelievable. Volatile. Erratic. Simple. And clinically insane. Stories to ever occur. There's a lot of our stories that start with someone being moneylenders. This is not the perfect preparation. In the world of sport. This is the opposite of perfect preparation. <laughs> this is the worst. Sports Bizarre. Yeah, were you saying horse whipped as in he was actually horse whipped? Yeah, uh, he said there's only one thing for it. I ordered hair of the dog. <laughs> a rabble of vagrants, drunkards, ruffian brawlers and gambling desperado. So like the Sports Bizarre audience. <laughs> it's time for the leaders of the hunt. Inept at best and corrupt at worst. <laughs> it's Titus O'Reilly and Mick Malloy. Welcome to the latest episode of Sports Bazaar with me, Mick Malloy, and of course, as always, doing the heavy lifting, Titus O'Reilly. What do you got for me? I'm all ears. <laughs> well, you remember a while ago we did the Melbourne Cup. First Melbourne Cup? We talked oh, the about bloke Standish who invented it. Who invented it yeah, you know, and he what was, a character. And if you haven't listened to that one, go back and listen oh. to it. It's called Frederick Standish. It's called The Man Who Invented the Melbourne Cup. And Amongst other things. Yeah, he was involved in the hunt for Ned Kelly. He invented the Melbourne Cup. He was the Chief Commissioner of Police. It's on our list of great Australian films yet to be made. It is. This amazing. Bloke is unbelievable. And came out here in disgrace, if I remember. He did. He, 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 on the run. He, like he, most people from Britain. He came out on the run and ended up Chief Commissioner of Police. <laughs> Which is one way to get people to stop sure. chasing you, right? And so a lot of people we spoke about who yeah. know the Melbourne Cup didn't know that story. And yeah. I'm talking like I went to a racing event. Melbourne Club, was he part he of was the, He was part of the Melbourne part Club. The Melbourne he lived Club. in the Melbourne Club. Did he get thrown out a window or something? Yeah, he got thrown out a window. <laughs> so, there's you know, your opening scene. There's your opening scene, exactly. Yeah, And so I kind of love that because I went to a couple of racing functions recently. Yes. And I'm talking like top people in the industry, like people that run – the various big clubs and racetracks yeah. here. And a few of them said, Love Sports Bazaar was unaware completely of that story, even though yeah, you'd think in, we're in Melbourne the that they're part of the people that run the Melbourne Cup now, right? Did they mention the story you made for our members about the oh, jockey the, who died and came back to life? <laughs> A jockey who died and came back to life and raced yeah. again in the meeting. Yeah. If you're not a member, I apologise, but... It's worth signing up for that one alone. Just yeah. Sign up and then leave again. But just, <laughs> you want to hear this because it's an absolute crack. Well, that's the thing. Racing always is the best because there's the best characters because yeah. they just, you know. So while I was researching something recently, I came across a jockey and I read into him and he, he wasn't that interesting. But then... I read about a guy called, and this is who we're going to be talking about today. His name is Lucky Baldwin. He was name was Elias Baldwin, but he's nicknamed Lucky. Now, is Lucky ironic? No, Lucky is he's the luckiest guy I've ever met, right? We don't want to see overseas. Australians do have a penchant yeah. for uh, ironic nicknames. Yeah, so like you're a red hair? Redhead, Bluey. Bluey. <laughs> I remember watching an episode of A Current Affair yeah. one night and they were interviewing three farm hands, like <laughs> outback ringers, yeah. and there was... Three blokes sitting on a fence with rollies and they're talking away. Yeah. And they've done the whole interview. I think it was yeah. about a drought or something and a rodeo that's coming down yeah. and all this. At the very end, a bloke who's finished up, he goes, what do you reckon, Rowdy? 
and because Rowdy had not said a word during the in, entire interview, I went, that's yeah, as Aussie as it gets. Aussie's like my favorite Aussie one. I think it's Aussie. It might not be, but my dad used to have a friend and his nickname was Crime. And I was like, because he, he never paid. Crime doesn't pay. He never, he, whenever the bill came. I like the moth. I had a mate we used to call the moth. Yeah. Because if he saw your light on, he'd come over. <laughs> That's great. Uh, some good ones out there. This will be good again for our members because we do have a chat on the what's it called? On the Discord. On the Discord. Maybe <laughs> a good Australian nickname. Oh, yeah, good knockaround. Australian nickname. Yeah. So I found this guy, the name Lucky Baldwin. I went, <laughs> Lucky I, Baldwin? You've got to read I've got to find out who this guy is, right? This is probably the first guy we're going to do who he's a true out-and-out villain almost, a cad. Wow. Yeah, he's a true, like... like a Richard Third. kind. Yeah, well, yeah, just always, like, everything he does is kind of a bit dodgy. And so... But lovable? He has no. definitely, well, more amazing. And so the reason we're telling this story, though, the link to sport, is there is a famous racetrack in California called the, and you've probably heard of it, the, the Santa Anita yeah. Park, it's called. It's a racetrack. It's in Arcadia in California. Now, Lucky both founded Santa Anita Park and he founded the town of Arcadia. So he okay. is the guy behind this. So most... American listeners even wouldn't know the story about this, oh, this guy who, who formed this racetrack. And it is one of the most prominent horse racing tracks in America. It's home to all these prestigious ones, but it also hosts the Breeders' Cup. Part of the Triple Crown. Part of the Triple Crown, the biggest all the time. So it doesn't host it every single year, but pretty much every year. It hosts it like every second year sure. or so. And it's becoming increasingly where it always is. So... A biography of Elias Lucky Baldwin that I read to prep for this starts with this line. It says, he was immoral, unmoral, amoral. Lucky Baldwin was all of them. <laughs> okay, you've got my full attention. Yeah, he, he didn't think the rules of society applied to him in any way, Fair both cool. the law and moral laws. All right. So Elias Jackson Baldwin, he's born in Hamilton, Ohio in 1828. So we're going back to that era. Yes. America is very much still the Wild West, dangerous place, gold rushes, all this sort of stuff. And he was the fourth of 14 children. Yeah. The family uh, had a farm in Indiana. They moved from Ohio to Indiana in 1834 when he was six. And this is where he grew up on this farm, helping his father and training horses. He's a big horse guy. He received almost no formal education. So right. just, this is literally like there wasn't a school system. Street smarts. Yeah, street smarts. But he was known as strong-willed, independent individual kind of guy, even from a young age. And we get a hint of what will come for him for his entire life. At the age of 18, he elopes with the neighbourhood girl called Sarah Anna Unra before returning home to the farm. So he okay. elopes at 18, which was cool. not the done thing. Nah, uh, in that part of the world, that would be shotgun. Be, yeah. I reckon <laughs> that is not good. <laughs> so in 1848, he and his wife, they were looking for a more prosperous living than growing up on this sort of hard farm. Yes. And so they moved to Valparaiso in Indiana and they opened a saloon and a grocery store and they had their first daughter, Clara. And then they soon added like grain trading and then he got into a venture with canal boats. So he built three canal boats that would go between Chicago and St. Louis carrying stuff. Jeez. So he's an entrepreneur oh, he type. He's, a, he's got a few fingers in a few different pies. Yeah, he's doing everything. In 1850, he then moves to Racine in Wisconsin 
and he becomes a grocer there. But he's starting to turn his mind to the California gold rush, which famously, of course, 1849. So the San Francisco 49ers in the NFL are named after the 49ers. They called all the people that went over for the gold rush the 49ers. Can I say this? The gold rush in a few of your stories has drawn a lot of colourful characters out of the woodwork. The gold rush is like a mecca for colourful characters. Do you know what the gold rush is like? It's the modern equivalent is crypto. (laughs) Like... Some people get obscenely rich, a lot of people lose their pants and there's a lot of dodginess through it all because a lot of people floating around. Yeah, it's not regulated. It's not, you know. (laughs) So he's starting to look at the gold rush and he's thinking, I wonder if I could go to the gold rush. But he is smarter than most. He has identified that you are not going to make a lot of money looking for gold. Like it's a fool's game. Some will make it, but most won't. So, but he realizes I think I can make a fortune selling the food, the supplies, the accommodation, all the things you need. Perhaps the Chinese approach, approach isn't it? That's to, right. Uh, we'll yeah. just provide some surf we'll services pro- and hardware, and it's like the guys that got rich were the ones selling the shovels, not the ones using them in the gold rush. Well, right? what about the? I think in a big oil, yeah, like someone owned the railway lines, and then some one of them, well, they've got to put it in barrels. So some bloke. One of the richest men in the world just yeah. made barrels. Made barrels, yeah. And he, and he had a he had a lock on them. So yeah. if he decided not to provide barrels, yeah, so he it, could charge what he wants. It's like, it's like software for computers. He literally had them over a barrel. <laughs> <laughs> it's, probably, it's probably where the saying comes from. Can someone fact check that? <laughs> I, I want to know where the phrase "over a barrel" came uh, from. It probably does. Uh, at the age of twenty-four, he decides, "I'm going to California. We're going to go. This is where everyone's moving." This is the true wagon trail yeah, across yeah, through what was called at the time. Yeah, and it was of. called Indian tra- Territory at the yeah. time. You know, it was dangerous. Not, so all the Native Americans were still at war or defending their patch. So it was very dangerous. This was a circle your wagons kind of time. Exactly <laughs> that, right? And most people either end up broke doing it or yeah. died. So it was the kind of thing. Now, he was smart. His daughter was six by this stage. He got four wagons, loaded two of them with tobacco, brandy and tea after he sold his grocery store. Yes. And he decided, I can sell this along the way. He He's hired, done his market research. Yeah. Tobacco, brandy <laughs> and tea. <laughs> and yeah. tea. He hires men to drive two of the wagons and they join a large wagon train that's um, heading off from Iowa. At one point, and this is true, they're like starving, it's like dangerous, they don't know where they're going. At one point, he's scouting ahead and he gets lost and can't make his way back. He's, he's completely lost by himself in the wilderness. And some friendly Native Americans find him and they take him back to the wagon wow. trail. So he actually... Good uh, on him. They get to Salt Lake City and their caravans attacked just outside by less friendly Native Americans, okay. another tribe. And he and the whole party just escape with their lives. It's like an absolute... Wow. They've hand-to-hand fighting... All that sort of stuff. So it's a true Western tale of him being there. In Salt Lake City, which is at the time and still is, it's become the home of the Mormons. They've settled there. He sells the bulk of his brandy to the brother of Brigham Young. So Brigham Young was the guy who founded Utah and the Mormon. He's the second most important after John Smith who came up with the religion. He was the one that actually built it into a full religion and town. So he sold that to a thing at a huge markup. He also sold all the tobacco and tea and then he decides he buys horses with that money. And then after five months of travelling across, they finally arrive in the Sierras 
and they make their way to Sacramento and Baldwin sells the horses at a 4,000% profit. Oh, well played, sir. So most people go broke. He has doubled his capital on the trip. So this is an inkling of what he's like. What he's up to. As a business person, right? What's he going to parlay his winnings into? Yeah, that's right. He gets into California, he decides, I'm going to go to San Francisco. And in San Francisco, he buys the Temperance Hotel for $5,000 in cash, right. which is a lot of money at the time. And then a month later, he sells that for $5,000 profit. <laughs> so I he's like just it. like he's literally the guy yeah. that's flipping businesses. He's flipping businesses yeah. and doing good. And doing whatever. The stock market's going off, so he starts buying things. He buys a livery, which is, you know, where you can leave your horse and they look after your horse yeah, and all like that. Horsey Hotel. Horsey Hotel. He bought and sold all sorts of goods, invests in the stock market and becomes a big player in the stock exchange there. He then starts a brick manufacturing plant. He knew nothing about brick manufacturing, yeah, but he yeah. starts one. And this is his idea <laughs> of... Where's he coming up with this stuff? The gold rush is bringing money in, yeah. so people are going to need to build things. Yeah, right? gotcha. So... He makes an enormous amount of money because he gets government contracts to build the U.S. Mint, Fort Point, and a fort on Alcatraz Island that becomes Alcatraz Prison. Oh, he's the main guy. Yeah, he's so the developer. He's the developer of San Francisco. Yeah, so he's doing all Fort this Knox. Sort of stuff. Yeah, it's all going nuts. Yep. So he's like doing all of this. Time Alcatraz Island, you know, because Alcatraz Island was a military base, then became a military prison. Then became a prison, just a prison. But he built the original part of that with the bricks he made. His business is going well, but his home life is not good. They have two more kids, but they lose them both when they're one year old and two weeks old. Because at this age, everyone loses babies. There was a bit of a it's, raffle, wasn't it? There was no, yeah, no, there were no vaccines or microchips <laughs> <laughs> at the time. On top of that, he cheated on his wife yeah. like you wouldn't believe. This is a guy who... Remember we did Jesse Rodriguez, the Spanish footballer? Oh, yeah. Who found out twice he was a father through Instagram? Yeah, no, or was it once on a reality TV show? Uh, yeah, he voted his <laughs> wife off the reality TV show. <laughs> so he's a bit like that. He's all through his life. Women are going to be a problem for him. Right. And he will be a problem for them all the time. So his wife divorces him. So he decides, well, I've got to leave and I'm going to go to Virginia City which is in Nevada because he's heard of this new find of silver called the Comstock Lode, which is a famous silver mine area over there. This is 1859. So the Comstock Lode gives you an idea. He hears about this and all the money's there. The Comstock Lode gives you an idea of what America was like at the time. Sure. So it was discovered in 1856, two brothers, Ethan Allen Grosh and Hosea Balu Grosh, they found silver dirt. It's sort of a blue ore in Nevada, and they knew this is worth a lot of money. This yeah. is like silver everywhere. What were they using yeah. silver for in those days? Oh, everything, everything from jewelry yeah. to stuff they chamber use pots. now. <laughs> everything. That would have been the big time for the chamber pot. The eighteen fifty nine. Yeah, yeah. That yeah. would have been. There's no plumbing there. You'd, yeah, you'd want a good one. <laughs> I'm kind of glad we don't. I never was alive oh, in the chamber pot area. I would bring it back tomorrow. You would? Yeah. It's just a little pot. There's under nothing the, stopping little, you. A little pot under the bed. <laughs> I have a friend who has one. That's the laziest thing I've ever heard. Well, mate, that's but. as good as it gets. I'm just going to get out and piss in the pot. <laughs> There's a few drawbacks you're not mentioning there, but apart from that. So these two brothers, they find it and they know they're on a huge 
amount of money. So what do they have to do? Stake dollars. their claim or they keep it quiet? They keep it a secret and they're going to come back and mine it. But okay. a year later, Hosea cuts his foot and dies of blood poisoning. Mm. So he's dead and the secret dies with him except for his brother. And then his brother gets caught in a blizzard and perishes as well. Jesus. So suddenly these two brothers who had found millions of dollars, no one knows. No one it's knows. A secret. But the one well, thing. Why would you include that in the story? Because there was a guy <laughs> who was known as Henry P. Comstock, who uh. it gets named after. And he has been described in various things as a sanctimonious gaffer, <laughs> an illiterate prospector, a quick thinking loudmouth. <laughs> And he was known as his, to his contemporaries as Old Pancake because he could not be bothered to bake bread. That's, that's all on his Tinder page. <laughs> that's right. So he would make a pancake rather than bread because he was too lazy. Comstock was also known for never leaving the house without wearing at least seven belts for any occasion. Seven belts. <laughs> seven that's belts. A that's a lot. Here he comes. Oh, old, here's old old seven, seven belts. <laughs> Um, his pants are never falling down. What do you need seven belts for? He's got a, probably got a gun belt. Uh, I don't know. Tool belt. Tool belt. Yeah, I don't. Belt belt. Some are just for looks. Now he had Henry Comstock. He had been watching the brothers and noticed they were up to something. He didn't know what, but he suspected Where they before they died that they had found something. So he ransacked their cabin <laughs> and found papers. And various maps after their death. No, before, but then they died. So he suddenly was like, so he was nosing around anyway. So Are you that, sure they died? Well, that's what you always wonder. Comstock might have. So once he knew that there was, and he didn't know the exact location, but he knew it was in the vicinity of this area called the Six Mile Canyon. So he knew it was there. So he starts putting down all these claims over that area, yeah. right? Buying claims to it. Everyone else doesn't thinks it's What's worthless, but. Two Irish prospectors named O'Reilly and McLaughlin, they found the Grosh's brothers' rich deposit of silver ore and go, oh, we found this. They think that's great. And Comstock realises they've found it, rocks up and goes, well, bad luck, guys. This is actually my and site. was it? It was. They agree to cut him in without an argument. To make it all happy, yeah. they say, we'll buy you in. So suddenly they're sitting on the biggest find of silver in America and yeah. in the world at the time. And they get someone in to do a report and find out how big it is. Yeah. And then two guys named James Walsh and George Hurst hear about this. George Hurst becomes a huge name in American history. His son founds a lot of the early media and stuff oh, like no. that. And they become millionaires. They come in and they buy out the Irish boys and end up becoming the ones that are million. They pay Hurst plays $3,500 for the claim and it ends up pumping out millions of dollars a year. Incredible. So the Irish boys really got Idiots. screwed over. But Comstock gets it named after him. Um, so the area explodes. Virginia City, which is near it, becomes the largest city in the West and one of the largest outside of the East of the Americas yep. overnight. Um, it's so famous that a guy called Samuel Clemens comes over and starts writing for the local paper and starts deciding to sign his name as Mark Twain. Oh, so that's where Mark go. Twain Jeez. fits in. So it's really this place where everything is happening in America at the time. Go and read some Mark Twain, everybody. Yeah. Not not in vogue at the moment. But given some of the best writers. sensitivities, but how funny and brilliant oh, yeah. and incredible. And he's the a, greatest American writer. And, and in Mark Twain's um, autobiography, he writes, 
all about being in Virginia City and he writes all about oh, yeah. the Comstock load and the mines and all this sort of stuff. So he gets great things sure. of it. So, of course, Lucky Baldwin then hears about all this and he realises if they're going to be building these mines, they're going to need wood to build the mines, you know, to prop oh, up he's, the mines. He's up to his old tricks. So he starts a logging camp and basically they take down all the forests around Lake Tahoe in Nevada to, to build it. So yeah. where there were these old growth forests, suddenly it's just bare hills. And Lucky makes an enormous amount of money out of this. So everyone else gets rich on the silver, but he gets uh, rich on that. Yeah. Now with the money he's making from this, he receives 2,000 shares in a place called the Ofer Mine, one of the mines, and then he invests in others. And one of them he invests in is called the Hale and Norcross Mine. And he's in Nevada doing all of this and he suddenly owns all this mining stock in these silver mines. He's selling the wood. He meets some British guys that are over there who are sportsmen, which means yeah. hunters. Right. And they say, why don't you come to India for a big game safari? We'll go shoot some elephants. It'll be fun. Tigers and elephants. And he says, that'll be great. He sells the olive. It was a different time and we should point out they were almost in plague proportion. Yeah. <laughs> so he says. Not like today. Yeah, so he says this is 1867. He's rich, like off to India to shoot elephants and tigers, okay. right? And before leaving, he goes to his stockbroker and he says the Hale and Norcross mine is not doing well. And at this point it looked like the silver mine, the Comstock mines were starting to run out a bit. And he says if the Hale and Norcross stock falls below $800 a share, yeah, sell them. Well, if I'm away and that happens, sell it. Yeah. And he heads off to India. And his broker finds out that it does fall below $800 and gets down to about $600 yeah. a share. And so his broker goes to the safe. It's literally these days, yeah. it wasn't electronic. You had to get no, the physical paper. paper and go and cash that in. So he goes to the safe where they're kept and he realizes that Baldwin has not left the key. He's taken the key with him accidentally to India. So he can't sell the stock. Oh, wow. So Lucky's looking at this huge loss that will bankrupt him. Lucky doesn't know this, though, because he's in India Shoot and there's no elephant. no way of communicating with him, right? He's karma. He's then, taken the key with him. Yeah. Lucky comes back from India, but he doesn't come straight back. He goes via Japan where he meets a troupe of Japanese entertainers in Tokyo that he likes. <laughs> and he goes, you should come to New York. So he brings him to New York and he becomes their vaudeville producer. Oh, God. Hey, lucky. Stay in your lane. And you he focus. So he does that for a little while and then about two years have gone by and he decides, I better get back to San Francisco. So check on those stocks. Yeah. Partly he wants to come back because he's met a new wife, Mary Cochran, in New Orleans and married her. So hey, he's now married again. Yeah. We don't know much about her but he's married again. He comes back. Now, since the stocks have plunged below $800 a share, the miners at the Hale and Norcross have discovered a huge vein of silver. Oh, he's done it again. And the stocks that are stuck in the safe and have been unable to be sold off on the cheap are now worth, instead of they're below $800 a share, are now worth $10,000 a share. <laughs> Lucky. Which is... Adds up for him, he's got $2.5 million worth of shares in it, in which is age. worth $81 million today. Well played. So he goes from if the, he'd taken the key 
he would have sold it. He would have sold it on the cheap and lost money. Instead, he's got eighty-one members. This is where he picks up the nickname Lucky. Correct. So they and he hates the nickname Lucky. He says, "I've worked hard for everything I've gotten in life, and this is unfair." Which is sort of true, but also he has been incredibly lucky. Oh, hang on, he's got two dead brothers out of a fortune. Exactly. I don't know, I don't know how hard working <laughs> that is. I think those guys worked hard. So he has all this money now. Now, in 1876, he is from an old prospector he knows, says, I think there's gold up in this place called the Bear Valley, which is near the San Bernardino Mountains. So this is in current LA. So yeah. it's, it's further south than San Francisco in what LA is now, Los yeah. Angeles, the city is now. And he visits the area thinking oh, he might invest in a mine there or something. And he's just taken by the beauty of the countryside and this amazing rich soil. And he becomes convinced that this land would be amazing for agriculture. You could make a fortune yeah. for food. And it's a place called the San Gabriel Valley. And this is now a major part of Los Angeles. Yeah. But at the time it was a agricultural What is it now, valley. residential? Yeah, or everything. So Pasadena, where the Rose Bowl oh, is yep. and everything, it's there. And it, it's a whole bunch of towns in there. It's a huge part of sort of southwest LA now. It's got a number of towns. One of the towns in the San Gabriel Valley now is San Dimas, which is where Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure is set. They went to San <laughs> oh, Dimas You've done your homework on this one? Yeah. <laughs> because I knew I was reading all the towns there. One was San Dimas and I, I was like, shows me how my mind works. I went, that's Bill and Ted's high school. <laughs> You don't know how my, my mind works? Inside my head, I'm singing the Beach Boys song, Little Old Lady from Pasadena. Yeah. What a bizarre song for Beach Boys to write about. Yeah, I know. Little Old Lady, Pasadena. But at the time, this is an amazing thing. So he sells off his interest in the Ophir mine in the Comstock District and he times it beautifully because this is about the time. He gets another five and a half million for that. And this is at a time where the Comstock load is starting Start to away. run out. And so he, is, he cashes out all his mining stock and decides to invest in this area, uh, in the San Gabriel Valley. While he does this, in August 1875 is when he's doing this, the Bank of California crashes under a stock bubble and all the banks get run on and he is sitting on all this cash and everyone else is broke. Yeah. So once again, once he's again, lucky. He's cashed up. He's cashed up with right everyone. Time. It's like timing the market beautifully. So he goes to the valley and he sees a ranch called the Rancho Santa Anita. Now, you've got to remember, California was, I mean, it had the Native Americans, but then the Spanish took over it. Sure. Then it had gone to the Mexicans, and then the Americans had beaten the Mexicans in the war and 20 years before it had taken over. It's changed hands. It's changed bit. hands a lot, right? So, But a lot of them are called like ranchos, like in the old Spanish yeah. way. So it's called the Rancho Santa Anita. And he said, I came down to look at a mine, but when I saw this ranch, I thought there was nothing that would make me more happy than to own it. And it's owned by a businessman named Harris Newmark. And Newmark says, on Lucky Baldwin's first visit, he offered us $150,000 for the property, but learning that we wanted $200,000, he went off in a huff. <laughs> He's cracked it. Reuben Lloyd, who was a famous San Francisco attorney who was working for Lucky, was outside when he stormed out. And he said, Lucky, go back and buy that ranch or they'll raise the price on you. You need to buy it. So Baldwin goes back into the office and says, I'll take the ranch for $200,000. And then he opens a tin box he's carrying and counted out $200,000. And in the tin was $7 million. <laughs> <laughs> and he, he wasn't happy. He still wasn't. He was still mad about it, right? 
The other thing that it gets as part of this ranch is all the water rights in the Santa Anita Canyon oh, as well. He's done it again. So he basically he's done it again. He's done like it again, he, right? He's, he's got the all the irrigation. So the Los Angeles Express are starting to take an interest in him. The media are starting to take an interest in him. And they say, this is one of the most attractive pieces of ranch property in the state. The place is capable of being converted into a perfect paradise. And Mr. Baldwin's taste, liberality and abundant means means it will be immediately applied to the object, right? Now, his luck continues. <laughs> so in 1975, there's a bank called the Temple and Workman Bank. Right. And he'd just bought the Santa Anito Ranch. The Temple and Workman Bank, they're suffering what all the other banks are, which is a run on the banks because yeah, yeah. it's all clean. So now the owners of it was a guy called FPF Temple and his father-in-law, William Workman. And they're the largest landowners and wealthiest individuals in all of Los Angeles County at yeah. this point. So these are bigger than lucky at this point. And they'd built up a huge business in cattle ranching and real estate and they had so much money they decided to form a bank. You yeah. know you're rich if you can... Yeah. <laughs> I need somewhere to put this. Yeah. I'm going to build and own a bank and put it there. So yeah. they set up the Temple Workman Bank and the mining boom means they do incredibly well. And they're incredibly popular, but they're popular as a bank for all the wrong reasons, it turns out. Their lending policy was so bad that they would just basically lend to anyone whether they had money or not. Right. So it wasn't a very good one. And neither of them knew banking at all. And someone said, it soon became evident that anybody could borrow money with or without proper security and unscrupulous people hastened to take advantage of the situation. <laughs> they were also invested in all these other things which meant they were just losing money hand over fist. And with the run on it, they actually had to close while they worked out what to do. What to do, yeah. And so they're on their knees, these two guys. In walks lucky. And they appeal to Baldwin for a loan because he is about the only person with cash. Yes, as and always. As always. Unlike everyone else, he hasn't borrowed money from banks. He's got it all in his hand. Temple works out with him a loan for $210,000 and he says that Baldwin puts on rather hard terms. <laughs> and what it is is the condition is should the bank fail and he doesn't get his loan back, he instead will get their combined real estate holdings. Jeez. Now, they own the rest of the San Gabriel Valley. Valley. So they own about 50,000 acres. He owns 8,000. It's in his interest for the bank to fail. You'd be surprised. <laughs> it said that his demands for the loan were virtually impossible to meet. So he has seen them coming uh, and they are desperate. Uh, so... The problem is a review of the institution of the bank found that it was so badly, the Los Angeles Star said they lent to an unparalleled array of deadbeats. <laughs> the bank opens and, of course, everyone is like, let's go get our money out now sure. that it's back open. And so within about a month, it closes again. There's a year or two of wrangling. Yeah. Lucky lends them a little bit more money yeah. for more land. They eventually fall over and Baldwin forecloses on them oh dear! and takes possession of 63,000 acres including several ranches <laughs> and the Baldwin Hills which are near the modern day Inglewood or oh, the Baldwin Hills in say. Inglewood they're named yeah. after him now and all this downtown Los Angeles property so he suddenly owns like a huge swathe yeah. of Los Angeles 
William Workman, he is a broken man. And in 1876, he kills himself in response. And he's got a young son at the time who will come back into this story. Okay, we're not done. Temple insists on taking up his role as county treasurer even after his bank's collapsed. (laughs) That's who we need for treasurer. (laughs) But he suffers a series of strokes and dies in April 1880. And so Baldwin is left standing owning all the water rights and all the land in this huge valley in Los Angeles and is filthy rich. He then starts developing his ranch and he has a vineyard now and a winery which he extends. He spends $2.5 million building at the winery. Yep. And it holds over 100 miles of water mains and irrigation ditches. It's got hundreds of miles of streets and roads and drives. It's huge. He has 700 acres of oranges, 100 acres of lemons, 100 acres of apples, apricots, grapefruits, peaches, plums and figs. There are 2,000 acres of vegetables, 25,000 acres of corn, hay and small grains, (laughs) 20,000 sheep. 3,000 cattle, 500 work mules, 500 draft and carriage horses. His vineyards yield 384,000 gallons of wine and 55,000 gallons of brandy every year. This is your one-stop shop. Yeah. You live there. He's got 200 people working on the ranch. So he just has this huge, huge plantation. He's making hand over fist. Someone wrote, the ranch is a principality not unlike a southern plantation before the Civil War, save that all the labourers are well-paid and well-fed, right? <laughs> yes. When everyone else is discriminating, Lucky hires Chinese people, African-Americans, Native Americans, and he says Chinese are the most reliable labourers I can get. So he is completely not racist. He doesn't, doesn't care. He doesn't care. He has no morals like the rest of the yeah, – like yeah, both yeah. good or bad morals, are right? You used to me or, or not. not. Yeah. And he doesn't necessarily pay them all incredibly well, but he's like they're cheaper and they work yeah. harder and he doesn't care. Yeah. But he's sort of frowned upon because this is another one of, even though it's not our morals at the time, yeah. he was seen as a moral even when it looks good to us. At the yes. time it was seen it's as seen another. As you're letting down yeah, the, like the district. He also had a soft spot for birds. He brought back from India the first peacocks to America. Yeah. Right. And he also had a pet parrot that would hide in the trees whenever he left the ranch. And when Baldwin returned, it would fly down from its perch calling, pa, pa. (laughs) (laughs) Apparently the only way anyone could get fired from the ranch is if they mistreated an animal, like a peacock or something, he would fire them. Right. So he was like this weird kind of Fascinating insight. Yeah. So in 1879, he decides that he's got all this huge farmland, he decides to start investing in racehorses. Mm-hmm. So this is where it is. So he purchases brood mares and various horses from Kentucky, which is the top state. Sure. California had no racing yeah. of note. And he begins breeding and raising them and he runs it like a business. He's very successful. He starts breeding his own horses from this original mm-hmm. stock. He doesn't buy horses. Yeah. He's one of the first that stresses speed over stamina in horses mm-hmm. because increasingly racing is going from it used to have in racing there would be heats. So the horses would race in a few heats and then race in the yes. final. So horses need to On be able to On the same day? Yeah, so they wow. need to run. But he it starts to move to, no, we'll just do one race. So he starts to realise stamina is not as important. Speed, speed is what is, we yeah. want. So he's one of the first to do this. The f- big race that's bigger than the Kentucky Derby is the American Derby, which is at Washington Park Racetrack. 
it's no longer exists, but it's both at, at the time. It was but at the time, it's bigger than the Kentucky Derby. He goes on to have four American Derby winners: uh, Valanti in 1885, Silver Cloud in 1886, Emperor of Norfolk in 1888, and Ray L. Santa Anita in 1894. It is like a winning streak that no one has ever seen before. He wins all these other and he's races. He's racing big at this America. time. It's huge, huge taking huge, off. So. He's got horses racing in in New York, in across the whole country, right. wherever it is, and he wins everything. And it's a list of winners that no owner has since in America got near. So he is like by far the top. So he's not an idiot. Everything he does, he does turn into yeah. some kind of brilliant business. In 1894, the American Derby, when his horse Ray L. Santa Anita wins, it beat one of the greatest horses of all time, um, Domino, which was one of the greatest right. American horses of all time. Ten of the 13 Triple Crown winners have Domino in their pedigree. There you go. So he's that good. Um, his best horse was Emperor of Norfolk that won 21 of 29 races and then sires a lot of his future sure. horses and all this. So he makes... California, the rival to Kentucky, is the home of the thoroughbred and puts it absolutely on the map. Yep. Off from business, in 1876, he divorces his second wife, Mary Cochrane. The reason he divorces her is because he'd gotten another woman, Jenny Dexter, pregnant because he's just having affairs left, right and centre. He divorced Mary, marries Janine, who is 16 at the time. Okay. 16 is the age of consent in America. Oh, yes. But let's just say Baldwin sails close to the wind on this rule <laughs> a lot. He's pushing it. He's pushing it. She has a daughter, Anita, 20 years after the birth of his first daughter, and she becomes his absolute favourite. Right. In 1877, he has survived the stock market crash, the bank failures. He's the only person in California that's got has really won out of all of that mm. and he's got cash galore. So he decides to open San Francisco, what becomes legendary, the Baldwin Hotel and Theatre. It costs $3 million at the time to build mm. and it's argued to be the best in the world. It's got shops, a hotel, a theatre. It takes up an entire block. It just is this huge thing yeah. that people come and it makes him really on the map and sure. he's in love with his wife, Jeannie. But that doesn't stop him having numerous extramarital affairs <laughs> this whole time. And one of his bartenders at the Baldwin Hotel said, Baldwin didn't run after women, they ran after him. So he was quite well known for... He had a reputation. He had a reputation. He's a bit of a catch. He's a, If you're he's got talking so much, in terms of money. And, yeah. And he loves women and he's got no morals. He doesn't seem to care if everyone it's knows. It's a perfect storm. He doesn't care if everyone knows he's having an affairs either. So it's a simple time. It's, it's a simple time. He is the talk of LA and San Francisco because he's rich, he's taking these big gambles on the hotel and on the land and everything he's doing yes. and he's having an affairs left, right and centre. This is all in the media. So right. you go back and can read all the accounts of it, right? Yes. He's like, so he's like the gossip pages. He's in every section of the paper, every basically. Section of the paper, yeah, front, business. the back, the, yeah. the racing on the back, back. the business on the front, the, <laughs> the, the gossip, the, in, the the gossip in the middle. Yeah. yeah. He's just, everyone knows who he is. He hires a man named Hiram Unra, who is a relative of his first wife. And Unra becomes like his conciliary, his finance oh, gotcha. guy. Yeah. And he is the one that probably saves Lucky because he really knows how to run a business. Yeah. So he starts to put everything in place to make sure that projects get done. 
uh, that everything gets like. So Lucky yes. can come up with big ideas and then go and have his affairs and yes. Unruh is just working away. One person said Lucky never worried and if asked why, why do you never seem worried? He said that's what Mr. Unruh's job yeah. is, is he, to worry. He's dotting the I's and crossing the yeah. T's. By this point up with Unruh behind him and building up, he's the state's largest landowner, employer and taxpayer wow. in all of LA. In 1881, Jeannie Dexter dies at the age of 23. This is the bride he married at 16. Yes. She died of tuberculosis and he leaves him with Anita, his five-year-old daughter. And he is besotted with Anita from this point on. At this point, things are getting very tight in the economy. But people are flocking to LA. So right. everyone's coming to live in California. It's a bit of a boom town. It's a boom thing. And Baldwin realises, well, I've got all this land. People need land to farm and live on. And if there's one thing I've got, it's more land than I can use. Yes. Like I've got my ranch, but beyond that, I've just... Sure. So he starts selling this all. A local banker once commented, because Lucky is very tight-fisted, except for when it's for fun for him. Yes. With $20 million <laughs> worth of property, Lucky Baldwin was always broke. <laughs> and it's partly true because he had a lot of land, but he didn't have a lot of cash. Yeah. So he starts realizing all these people are arriving because the train across sure. America's being built. So he starts selling this off and new towns start being sprung up in the valley that he sells off. So Sierra Madre and Monrovia, which are big areas of LA now, mm. he sells them off. And then what happens is as the depression in the 1890s hits, land is sold off like that. They all start being foreclosed on and come back to him. <laughs> Jesus. So he like sells it and buys waits, it back at half the Buys price. it back at, well, you know, whenever this it happens. Incredible. Around this time in 1891, while he's selling off all this land, 49 acres were sold to a 21-year-old William Workman who's the son of the gotcha. William Workman who From killed the bank. himself. And he's bought a little bit of land back, which becomes relevant later. In 1880, he's selling off land in California and he travels to Lake Tahoe, mm. which straddles the California-Nevada Right. area and he stays a small hotel which is unusual because it's still got the growth forest every other bit because of the comstock load lucky cut down most of it <laughs> yes. this is the one area that doesn't he didn't, cut, he didn't down, cut down and it's on this beautiful lake or lake tahoe so he identifies this will be a great place for a hotel and a casino right the one bit that i didn't cut down <laughs> and he buys it it's two thousand acres a mile of lakefront and he says, my land acquisition will save this vast forest from the beauty-destroying acts of the woodsmen so that the magnificent pines and cedar may be admired for generations to come. He's a shocker. <laughs> he's, he doesn't care at all. I'll save you yeah. from me. So he builds a place called Talak House. It's named after a nearby mountain and he builds a resort there. It's three and a half stories high. It's got a tower, a covered porch. It has indoor plumbing and heating, which at the time was big. Yes. Meals were eight courses. There's a string orchestra at dinner. It's got a ballroom, billiard Jeez. room. It's got four bowling alleys, a stage, and sun parlors. It costs $32.50 to stay there for a week. This is when the average weekly salary was $20. Yeah. So it's expensive. A walkway lined with electric lights, which were rare, yes. called the Promenade, joined the new hotel to the Tallick Point house. And wealthy women would walk the path several times a day in the latest fashions and miners would come down from Virginia City to whistle at them. 
It's worth the trip. It's worth the trip alone. Uh, best holiday I've ever had. <laughs> he then decides as part of this to open a casino. Yeah. So Lake Tahoe, Reno's near here. Yeah. This becomes before Vegas. He started this He whole started thing. the whole gambling around Lake Tahoe. Yeah, and this is where, you know, Michael Corleone in The Godfather Part 2 is in yeah. Reno and staying on Lake Tahoe. It's all that area. That's it. Lucky starts that whole thing. He opens this casino as part of it. Gaming's illegal, but he has a grapevine warning system that whenever the sheriff leads Hangtown, a local town, for a visit, he gets word and the employees just hide the slots and the roulette tables. The hey, sheriff you, comes in. You want to do a good job. Good the to see you, sheriff. He's from Hangtown. <laughs> it doesn't sound that positive. <laughs> it's now called Plainsville. They what are you? I'm it. the sheriff of Hangtown. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Um, to facilitate summer flings, he builds a two-story love nest on the lake <laughs> as well. Um, and it becomes the classiest resort in the country. It's this huge thing and, and it ushers in this whole deluxe vacation and yeah. casinos are there. In 1883, around this time, it turns out, he's become involved while his young wife who passed away at 23. Before that, he'd become involved with a young woman named Verona Baldwin, who was a cousin of his from the Midwest. Right. Okay. So he'd hooked up with her. And that was okay those days too. 16-year-old girls, check. Cousins, Cousins check. check. Yeah. Okay. Just so Fairly. we're clear. There was no Me Too movement for Lucky. <laughs> and he was lucky. This is pretty <laughs> He's very oh, lucky wow. that there was not a Me Too movement. So he'd become involved with her some point around 1879 and – Verona said that she and uh, Jenny had become great friends and hung around in San Francisco together. But eventually I think Lucky's like hooked up with her. Mm. She said he brought her down to Santa Anita claiming to have a job for her at the ranch's schoolhouse, but the job never appeared, but the job of mistress did. <laughs> so she becomes his mistress. But then after Jenny's death, Baldwin and Verona, they fall out. So then in 1883... Something happens, and I'm going to read the San Francisco Call wrote this article describing what happens. Verona Baldwin shows up, says, Yesterday at 10 past 10 o'clock, a young woman who calls herself Verona Baldwin, a cousin, shot E.J. Baldwin through the left arm at the level of his heart as he was leaving his private dining room on the second floor of the Baldwin Hotel. She fired from behind at him from a distance of six feet without warning. <laughs> She was immediately disarmed and arrested. The girl in jail said, he ruined me in body and mind. That's why I shot him. Wow. I ought to have killed him. Yes, I ought to have killed him at the ranch. That's what she told a journalist. Okay. That escalated. She said that she tried to kill Baldwin because he allegedly fathered her baby, but he declines to testify against her at trial and she gets off. He survives. Wow. And she leaves the state. She was eventually declared mentally ill after she left the state. One of Lucky's opponents, the publisher Horace Bell, said, our hellish statutes protected him and enabled him to send his victim to the insane asylum. Well, what's he done under the statute? Uh, yeah, yeah. She that, shot that, him. She shot him, but he refused to. So he's done the right thing. Yeah. He's very... He well, lets her go. Lucky, there's a lot to admire. Look, I think Lucky just, like, rolls with it a bit. you got to remember, it was a simpler time. Yeah. <laughs> it's a much simpler time. <laughs> Now, uh, we might leave it there because when we come back... He's just been shot by his mistress. 
you'd think being shot once by oh, a woman would Lessons be learned? careless. What have we learned here? When we come back next week, <laughs> things are only going to get more bonkers. And I'm going to foreshadow by saying he does get shot again. <laughs> All right. Well, on that note, we'll park it and revisit this time next week. Thank you, Titus O'Reilly. If you'd like more Sports Bazaar, join our membership program, Bazaar Plus. And one of the key bits that people are loving is you get an extra episode every week. Here's a short outtake from our bonus episode. I've ridden a donkey. No, you, you haven't. Yeah, I did. Well, that's an RSPCA. Oh, you think that's me riding a donkey's animal cruelty? I think it's close. I think you're in that. I'm sick Tell of me the, it wasn't I'm up sick a, of the body shaving, Mick. But it's not... It wasn't like a, up a mountain or anything, was it? it? Was, well, we were in Bolivia in the... <laughs> Jesus, were you in Bolivia riding a I think it was Bolivia. And we were in the Colca Canyon, which is the second deepest canyon in the world. Oh, you can't be riding a donkey in the canyon. And they, uh, we got a donkey out of the canyon. Oh, it's so the hardest working donkey in showbiz. He died as we got... <laughs> so they put it... You know, it's the only donkey that's asked to be put down. I'm begging you. <laughs> So do you know, I believe this to be true, this is a fact check for you, but in some of these places where the mountains are, they won't let the American tourists on On the donkey. They just go, no, mate. You have to carry the donkey. (laughs) But I think they've just had enough's enough. They just go, you, no. But they're very strong because I – and I was – much younger, much slimmer at the time, and the donkey had no problem. It wasn't even – didn't even notice me. They're bred to be strong. Do not carry a Western tourist up a mountain. I don't think that's what they were bred for. Yeah, that's exactly that's more- <laughs> Their whole evolution was leading to this moment. And that's a short clip from our bonus episode each week for members who join our Bizarre Plus program. Simply go to the link in the show notes or go to bizarreplus.com. <laughs>